Welcome to Imagine With Us podcast with Rabbi Michael Lerner and Kat Zavis. In this episode, we share a story that can provide hope and inspiration and discuss the challenges we face in our efforts to move beyond individual acts of goodness to acts of societal transformation. We sent a story out to our readers in Tikkun that inspired so many people to respond to us with gratitude for the story, and we wanted to share it with you today, along with the discussion that it evoked in a, with us, between us, when we talked about the story. So here's the story. I may have inadvertently started a revolution in the convenience store today. I stopped to grab a water, and on the way in, I saw a homeless man I know sitting in the shade with his bike beside him. He was red-faced and shaky-looking. I asked him if he was okay, and he told me he was just resting. This guy has the mind of a child, and I'm afraid he doesn't know what he needs to stay extra hydrated when it's super hot outside. There were a bunch of people in line in front of me, and only one cashier. So I grabbed two waters and yelled to the cashier that I was taking one to the guy outside, and I'd be right back. I'm a regular there. When I came back in, the lady in front of me turned around, hands on hips, and told me that I was just enabling that quote-unquote homeless person, said with a sneer, and that I shouldn't be wasting my money on him. It's hot as hell in Florida right now, mid-90s with humidity around 80%. It's a good day for heat stroke, and I told her so. I said I'd rather give him a water than call an ambulance. I was going to shrug it off, let it go, chalk it up to ignorance and the heat making everybody cranky. And then she told me that I should be ashamed of myself, that someone should call the police on him, and that it should be illegal to beg for money. That people who give the homeless money just encourage them to stay homeless, and that should be illegal too. Ashamed? I should be ashamed for giving some poor old guy water? It cost a whole dollar, by the way, and I should get in trouble for making sure he didn't stroke out in this heat? I guess I look nice, approachable, like I wouldn't rip her head off. I am nice most of the time, but not always. I lost my temper. I told her to call a cop and report me for buying shit at a convenience store. I told her that I wasn't in the damn mood for crazy right now, that it's a hundred effing degrees outside and I'm hot and tired and sick to death of stupid people, that if she had an ounce of compassion in her whole body, she'd buy him a cold drink too, that maybe she should figure out why she needs to coust complete strangers. And how's about after that, she backed the F up out of my face and out of my business and turned back around and not say one more damn word to me. I'm just about deaf in one ear. I try to modulate my voice unless I get angry. It got pretty loud in there at the end. There was dead silence in the store and then someone said loudly, for real. And the guy at the front of the line told the cashier to add a sandwich to his purchases for the guy outside. The guy behind him brought an extra ice cream. The girl behind him got changed for a 20 because that guy could probably use some cash. Every single person in line got him something. Everyone except the now very embarrassed lady in front of me who slunk out without saying another word. When I got to the cashier, she didn't charge me for either of the waters because she was going to take him one anyway. And mine was free because of the entertainment. When I went outside, he was eating his ice cream and drinking his water with a pile of stuff all around him, a big old grin on his face. He didn't look shaky anymore. And their people is a story of why I hate people and why I love people all in the same damn minute. 
and sat in the car and drank my water and laughed with tears in my eyes, same as I'm doing now. We shared this story because we wanted to help reinforce an understanding that we have been developing ourselves in our life, which is that there are so many good people in this world, so many people who would really like to help other people. The problem is, is that we've all been taught that everybody is selfish. Everybody just looks out for number one. The truth is, is that when you've grown up in a society which rewards selfishness, which at its core and the core of the capitalist system rewards individual selfishness at the expense of the collective well-being of, of our planet and of our society, that we come to believe that that is the reality, the truth of human nature. But it's not the truth of human nature. What it is, is the degree to which the dominant mythology, the justificatory mythology of capitalist society has sunk into all of our heads so much that we become cynical about other people. Now, in most situations, nobody would have been the first person to say something in that line. And hence, all the rest of us would be thinking, well, I'm not going to say something because why should I be the only one? Why should I take the risk of alienating all the other people in this line? Why should I be getting into trouble from putting myself in trouble for this? So that silences the goodness inside of people, not because they don't care, but because they believe that they would be too alone, that they would face ridicule, or that they would in, in turn go home and ridicule themselves and say, oh, I was so good-natured and just tried so hard and it didn't work, and I'll never try that again and embarrass myself in public. But the truth is, it wasn't embarrassing. It was actually liberating for all of the people in that line, but it took the first person to stand up and that woman to courageously challenge the person in front of her who was making fun of her and putting her down for an act of generosity and caring. So this is part of the dynamics of our society that are central to why we can't make this society work for us, because we have been so intimidated by the dominant ethos that everybody's looking out for themselves and that you shouldn't be the first one to stand up. But when you do, it often turns out to be a very good thing and it empowers other people to be who they fully are. And this is a message that we need to carry with us and spread it to other people. When they start saying to you, don't be so idealistic, it's silly, you're stuck in the 60s or you're stuck in the 80s or 90s, you're stuck in some earlier period where people were more, had greater solidarity, but that's not the way it is anymore. Haven't you noticed? Well, yeah, what we've noticed is that very few people are standing up and it's only when they do that that liberates others to stand up. This opens the question that all of us have, which is, what's the point of trying to change this society? Yes, we know it's screwed up. Yes, we know that it's hurtful. Yes, we know that there are millions of people who are homeless and that there are millions more who are hungry. They have a little home, but they don't have enough food to feed their children. We know that we live in this kind of a society. We know that the three biggest owners of wealth in this society own more wealth 
that the bottom 50% of all people in the society, the wealth of all of them, it's an outrageous reality that we live in. And yet we tolerate it and we tell ourselves, well, there's nothing I can do about it. But the truth is we can do something about it, but it has to be it with a we, transforming our own individual selves into part of movements that can together make big impacts and transformation. One of the powerful lessons of this story is that in reality, we are surrounded by many, many good people with good hearts who want to do the right thing and who can be reached and activated to build the caring society for which we all yearn. One of the challenges for me of this story at the same time is it's an individual act. It becomes a collective act because a number of people respond, but the impact of it is very individual. One person is relieved from the immediate suffering. It's not even long-term relief. It's immediate suffering in that moment. His life has been saved. He's been fed. He feels cared for and comforted. And that's really beautiful and extremely important. Another aspect of the capitalist ethos is that we think that's what we can do. That's how we can change our society. One person at a time helping one person at a time or a couple people helping a couple people. And when we believe that that is the way that systemic change is going to happen, then we lose sight of and give up hope that we can actually transform the systemic injustices, the systemic systems and structures of our society that allow for homelessness, that allow for vast disparities and inequalities in wealth, that allow for racism to permeate through our schools, our health cares, our banking, our land ownership. And it clouds and obscures these systemic problems when we focus solely on the individual. So one of the things that I want to talk about here today is we want people to do this because it's really important that when people are suffering, that we work to alleviate that immediate suffering because the long-term systemic changes aren't going to immediately address the immediate suffering. So that's really important whether you're doing that you know, individually in this case as it happened or whether you're doing it through your faith community or through a community organization that you give to or participate in where you offer food banks or you donate money. All of those things are important for alleviating immediate suffering. And the challenge that I know from people that I've spoken with who've taken my training and others is that that is the one way they know how to make change. And they feel lost and confused about how to impact and create the deeper systemic changes that are so needed. I want to talk about that challenge and in later calls maybe we'll offer some ideas about how to transition or how to also engage in systemic change. But I really want to talk about some of these challenges that are real, that I think all of us experience. I know I experience at times, and I know many, many people have taken my trainings experience and many people I speak with. We have a book that we put out called Revolutionary Love, and that is a book that has some answers, not all the answers, but some of the answers to how to move collectively or what it would look like if people would move collectively together with others. Of course, there are organizations in many of your towns or cities where you live, wherever you live, where there are other people engaged in some kind of act of helping 
or caring together. And that's a good step to be in such an organization, even if it's only focusing on a narrow part of the problem. But for us, we're recognizing that with environmental crisis, so impossible to ignore in the last few weeks, that as only one of the symptoms of the tremendous pain that lies waiting for us unless we change our society in a more fundamental way. And then we also acknowledging on the one hand, the surge of awareness about racism in this society after the killing of George Floyd that helped stimulate much more awareness and much more anger at the police and at the killing of African-Americans and people of color in the society. And on the other hand, did not actually lead to fundamental change in most of American society, although there were a few cities that made some real changes. But really, the structure of racism so deeply built into the ethos of capitalism hasn't been changed. It hasn't yet been altered enough. That leaves us with the question then of, well, what in the world are we supposed to do? And there are some things that we've seen can make a difference, begin to open people's minds to a larger level of transformation. This is not to say that if you're involved in some local or single issue struggle that you're making a mistake. No, we're not saying that. But we are saying is that simultaneously, we in the progressive world, those of us who want a different kind of society, okay, want a society that is fundamentally not based on the selfishness and materialism of the capitalist marketplace, that we need to start educating people with a vision of the kind of world we actually want. In my book, Revolutionary Love, I try to lay out quite a lot of the details, but I'll start here just by saying that the core of it is that we want a caring society. And just popularizing the notion that what we really want is a caring society. You could do this with every conversation that you're in, is to raise that notion that that's important. But then people are going to say, well, what do you mean by that? And we have an answer to that. What it means is to have a new bottom line. The old bottom line measured efficiency, rationality, productivity, by the extent to which any institution or corporation maximized money and power. And we're saying, no, we need a new bottom line that judges efficiency, rationality, and productivity in every institution, in our economic system, our political system, our judicial system, our healthcare system, our educational system, our societal systems in every way, judges efficiency, rationality, and productivity by the extent to which those institutions lead people to be more loving and caring, kind and generous, ethically and environmentally sensitive, caring about social and economic justice, caring about and wanting to dismantle practices of racism and sexism, homophobia, xenophobia, etc., and encouraging people to deal with, in a serious way, in a, in a visionary way, a transformation of the way that we treat the environment, and also that encourages people to look at other people in a non-utilitarian way that is not simply in terms of 
how much they can do for you, how much they can deliver for you, your needs, but to see other human beings as embodiments of the sacred and to look at the universe and our beautiful earth, not simply as always oh, there's something here I can turn into a commodity and sell, but rather to look at the earth and the universe with awe and wonder and radical amazement at the grandeur and mystery of all that is. It's a long sentence, but that's what we'd like you to start talking about. If you can bring that up, you have already switched the level of consciousness of people. And the more times you talk about this, the more you open people to thinking about what a fundamental change would look like, not just what a small, particular, good, righteous act would look like. So I want to bring us back to our story at the beginning, because the story at the beginning was actually an enactment of a world of caring for each other. It was this kind of bubbling up of the inner yearnings and desires and universal love and care that lives within each of us. It was manifested in this exquisite way and then told to people and then shared and that then bubbled up within all of us. Like, yeah, that's the world I want to live in. Then the question, of course, arises is, okay, so like I get this new bottom line thing and wanting a caring society, but how in that moment would you move from that particular incident, from that particular caring into a more collective, visionary explanation or statement about this? And so I could imagine, and, and this is like almost impossible to imagine doing in some ways, but I want us to try to imagine doing it and to practice it and to tell ourselves we can, because this woman who said what she said at this convenience store you know, many of us probably want to engage in this way and say this, but we don't. So that's the first step. And then the next step would be her or somebody else saying, this is the world we all want to live in. We want a world where we care about each other. We want to create a society where we care about each other. Let's get together as a community in this town that we live in and talk about what would our town look like if we actually didn't only do this as individual actions, but created this as part of the very structure of the way our government budget is determined, money is determined, the way in which our schools are created, the classrooms are run, the way in which our businesses are run. How would these individual acts of caring manifest as collective acts of caring, and how would we feel about that? Because we know that when we hear this story and the response by everybody in the convenience store, we all feel so wonderful and so inspired and so uplifted. So imagine for a moment if that was your city. If your city actually created a structure in which this level of caring wasn't just called for on the individual level, but was actually the foundational way in which your city or your county or your town functioned and organized itself. So I could imagine that if you were there, those of you who are listening to this, if you were there, if you stopped the people who were doing that and said, you know, what you're doing is so beautiful, and it reminds me of a different vision of a society that we could create together. And I'm not part of some group who's going to take your money or a lot of your time. 
But can you imagine how wonderful it would be if we could build in our city a different kind of movement, a movement that actually talked about the world of caring and the new bottom line and just presented that to the people there and said, thank you so much for being who you are, okay? And guess what? There are a lot of other people like you. Let's get them together. Let's take a next step. Imagine, I'm just thinking this person wrote this in her car after the incident or after the incident, she sat in her car and she cried. And I'm just imagining, what if everybody who had been in that store and experienced that and gave something to that young man had joined together in their release of the energy of joy, tears of joy and appreciation, that that's part of also what would create what we're talking about here. Yes, but they weren't going to do that spontaneously. No, I agree. That's we, why... they, you need somebody to say, wow, what we just did was amazing. Let's get together for five minutes. That's why we need a network of spiritual progressives. That's why we need people to be part of a movement that Tikkun is trying to create in which you get the self-confidence to actually take it to the next step, to say, okay, you know, I saw what just happened. You, 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 you all did beautiful acts today. And you could now turn the level up a little by trying to be part of a movement to change the whole bottom line, to encourage people to envision what that world of caring could actually look like and how to apply the new bottom line to the institutions where they work, their life situation, their family. Okay, now I can hear people saying, wait a second, if I tried to raise this with my parents, I think they would laugh at me and put me down. Well, that might be, but it might also be that they have been suffering for a long time in precisely by virtue of having internalized the sense that nothing's changed and then becoming an advocate for that because they don't want to feel that they are being ridiculed. We have to be able to talk about that, including their feelings of that, that make it seem impossible and to help them understand that that wasn't how they were born. They weren't born with a sense that there was no possibilities, but that actually the world is full of these possibilities. So this is why we say in Tikkun and the Network of Spiritual Progressives, don't be realistic. Because being realistic means accepting the way things are as inevitable, that nothing fundamental can change, and then trying to eke out some kind of moral existence within an immoral society. No, we're saying with the immorality of the society can be overcome, and you can be an agent in doing that. And together, we can make a big impact. Thank you for joining us. Please follow and rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And please share this with your friends and invite them to follow us as well. You can become engaged with our work and learn more about us at tikkun, T-I-K-K-U-N dot org, and spiritualprogressives.org. We'd love to hear from you. To reach us, you can email me, Kat, C-A-T, at cat at spiritualprogressives.org with the subject heading, Imagine With Us. You can buy Rabbi Lerner's book, Revolutionary Love, at tikkun.org forward slash revlove and even join a book group of people reading the book together and taking action based on the book. And special thanks to Emma's Revolution for their amazing music. You can hear more of their music at emmasrevolution.com 
and you can follow them on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Thank you.